This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely. You're joined by Ryan Abraham. Hi. And if you're confused, no, that is not Albert Einstein. That is Shotgun Spratling. Just as smart. <laughs> Debatable. About USC football. How about Debatable. that? Debatable. <laughs> Everyone asks you to not wear a hat, Shotgun, and you granted See, their this wish. this is why I wear a hat, guys, you know. He does have hair, shockingly. A lot of people think you're bald, and that's why you wear hats. No, he has a full he head of hair. He is certainly not Oops, sorry. bald. Oops, well, we're just yeah. crushing our... I'm good. sorry. I was trying to turn you down because your mic is That's back. okay. Uh, certainly not bald. We got like a Don King look going on over here. I like it. Can, can you get a full fro going when, when uh, the headphones are on? So. Yeah. Oh, we're having some mic issues. Okay. Ryan, well, I'm going to toss it to you, Ryan, while sure. I fix that. Because if it looks like we're rushed or at least a little more disorganized than usual, it's because we just got in the studio because we got... A one on one, not one on one. We got an exclusive USC beat writers. Got to talk to George Klyovkov, the new Pac 12 commissioner. It was off the record, so we guys, we can't tell you guys any of the, the fun stuff. But Ryan, you came away impressed by our meeting, right? I was, yeah. So this was, uh, it was kind of a crazy couple of days. We had Pac 12 Media Day yesterday. We can get into some of that stuff. You heard from, you know, from the USC side, Clay Helton. You heard Keaton Slovis. You heard uh, Drake London. That was great. But we also got to hear very at the beginning of the morning. George Klyavkov, and uh, I, you know, like what he had to say. Uh, he was making his rounds, and you know, it was a good opportunity to talk to a lot of different media people and such. Uh, but for um, you know, for George, we got to meet with him today. So they were doing like a little happy hour that they weren't allowing us to uh, promote at all, uh, as far as what what's going on. But basically, anyone on the USC beat, there was a throwing session, you know, player run practice that was earlier. So we don't get to watch those, but we could see who was there. Do some interviews, and then over at Rock and Riley's, uh, off at you know at the the University Village area, we were going to meet with Mike Bone and also George Klyovkov, the uh, the new Pac-12 commissioner, and get to kind of you know pick his brain, ask him some questions, and like Keely said, it was a an off the record thing. We're not going to share any of the intimate details of of what was said there, but I did come away uh, very impressed with what uh, he had to say. Um, there's some low hanging fruit as far as uh, you know things he could fix. There's a lot of long-term problems that he's going to have to uh, work through, but I couldn't imagine Larry Scott doing anything like that. Uh, I, ended up, I talked to the guy for about 10 minutes, just me and him, uh, sipping a beer and uh, talking, you know, some Pac-12 football and stuff. 
And, you know, he's asked me about my background. And so, like, this is stuff that Larry Scott wouldn't do. And to me, when we talk, we talk about recruiting all the time, right? Why is Ed Orgeron a great recruiter? Or why is T. Martin a great recruiter? Or Dante Williams, like, these guys are great, but they are going to listen to you. They're going to talk to you. know, They're going to engage with you. He was a very engaging guy. And Larry Scott was more of an ivory tower guy. Like, I don't need to talk to you. What was, what was Lynn's one like? He was like an ivory tower guy. Pat Hayes, like... This was someone that was going to come out and talk with the people. He's doing a listening tour. He's going to every campus and going to listen to their reporters and their administration and everyone that's working there and see what they have to say. Larry Scott wouldn't talk to the athletic directors. He only would talk with the presidents until the last couple of years. So I came away very impressed. There's there's just a lot of big problems with Larry Scott. And George Klafkoff seems to look identify them all and go, I can fix all of these. These are pretty easy. So I, I, I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is the word ego. He doesn't have this giant ego that he can't identify what he even classified as easy wins. Um, you know, there's small things that you can do anytime you take over a new job. What was the guy before you struggling with? Are there some quick fixes to those things? This is a quick fix. This is not going to answer conference realignment, NIL, any of those big picture questions. What are they going to do with the TV deal? All those type things. But this is so easy to do, to go out and see. And you're going to pick up things you know, from the beat writers, from the yeah. ADs. He had a meeting with the SIDs a couple of days ago as well. So picking everyone's brain at different level rather than just the presidents. Okay, these are the people that actually pay my salary. That's, that's what really matters. That's the only people I care about. Right. Is there a whole you know, branches of this organization underneath that? Yes. Do the, I care the boots about on them? the ground people that actually do these work, that do yeah. the work and everything? Do, yeah. do I care about those people at all? Larry Scott was like, they don't matter to me. They don't matter to me. It is my, my $5 million check That's in the bank. Matters. That's all that matters. <laughs> so I think Klyovkov has, has done a great job. And I think you pointed out, similar to Mike Bowen when he came in, said, hey, the person before me was struggling with some things. Let me try to figure out some easy wins. Let me identify what the issues are. That's what the whole listening tour is about. And this is the yeah. same thing that Mike Bone did. He said, I'm going to, you know, first I'm going to go and listen and, you know, before yeah. making changes. That, that's a really good parallel. But hold up, Mike, if you're watching this, I need a little cut right here because <laughs> I got to do, I got to do a little rant on this whole thing because there are parallels there. And, and Shotgun's exactly right. He pointed out something I didn't even think about. Uh, when Mike Bone came in, he took over uh, a great institution that had horrible leadership for a very long time. And, he needed to come in. There was going to be some long-term fixes. There were going to be some things that took a while to fix, but there was also going to be a lot of low-hanging fruit, some easy wins, and go through there. And if you're Mike Bone, you're like, hey, let's let the song girls uh, back into the uh, Galen Center to watch the basketball games. And, you know, instead of scheduling an FCS school for the first time in history, let's let's get San Jose on the schedule instead. There were some singles we talked about mm-hmm. that he could hit and win over the fans. Now, he's still there's a big one, and... According to what we've been told, it's a, you know there's a, fin- a long-term financial issue if you wanted to make a head coaching change at the time he came in. So it's, there are similar things to what George Klyovkov has to do. He, he identified like five or six things. They're like, there's some big things that you're going to have to address. And you know we know a lot of the stuff in the Pac-12, the distribution deals with the Pac-12 network, uh, the television contract that's really uh, ran out of steam. And it was good in the first couple of years, but it's been terrible since. And it's really long. It's 12 years long. Those are things he can't fix until 2024, but Larry Scott did a, screwed up enough things that he can go through and, oh, I can fix that. And that should be easy. Like, do we need to spend $8 million a year on rent for our, our conference offices? Like, no, I'll fix that. Now, it might not fix for a couple of years, but there's things he could come in and identify. Like, that's an easy fix. We can do that. Talk to the athletic directors. I can do that. We can, you know, there's, so there are really similar parallels between Mike Bone coming in 
when you take over for terrible leadership, there's some some good things because you can get those easy wins. But there's also some bad things because things are pretty screwed up and you're going to take a long term, long time to fix them. And and both of them, and that was a good point you had, both came in and said, I want to listen first. I want to hear what, because you've known there's been so many problems in this organization at USC and at the Pac-12, let's listen to what people have to say. And I, so I think it's good. He's impressed me so far, just like kind of Mike Bowden did when he came in. So I'm, I'm happy. I think the, the Pac-12 has got some good leadership here and they need it right now. When, when there's so many issues – when there's a lot of issues, people are going to come up with solutions on their own, whether it be one of us, an athletic director, an SID, someone says, what if you just did this? And some of those are just so easy. Yeah. Just make a little change. And those are the type of things that you're that, these, that both Bone and Klyovkov are going to find out on their listening tours. And I think you saw Bone address some of those, whether it be the FCS game or some of the, the small things. Um, and I think that Klyovkov will, will learn some of those things, and he'll get to hear from both sides of the spectrum, from USC, who, want, who you know, needs to be the powerhouse in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 needs USC to be a powerhouse, what will help them, but also from the, the other end, the Oregon State and Washington State, what do they need to be more uh, competitive with the big market teams when yeah. they're in a small market? So I, I think it, instead of just listening to the people that pay your, you know, the, the sign your paycheck, if you listen to everyone, you're going to find out a lot more information. Overall, I know it's very early, but how do you feel about George Klyovkov being in control of this conference? Yeah, no, I feel good. Um, you know, w- the good thing about Pac-12 Media Day, one of the good things is, and you know, with we got to, you know bump elbows with a lot of people that are covering different beats. So, oh, I talked to the Michael Lev, who used to cover USC, covers Arizona now, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, uh, uh, anyone out, out there on the beat. Uh, I talked to the guys from Washington, from from Utah, uh, Oregon State, uh, anyone that's out there on the beat, you can go through like, oh, I've, I've interacted with you before, but also national media guys like Stuart Mandel was there and Dennis Dodd was there and Bruce Feldman was there. And there's guys there that have a more national perspective. And Everyone was talking about the same stuff. Like you're, I mean, coaches, um, national media guys, the beat writers that, that cover these separate teams. Everyone was talking about conference realignment and what's going on. Nobody really knows exactly what's going on. Everyone has different opinions. But everyone that I had talked to about this just had good things to say about George Klyovkov. He's someone that seems to have a good vision. He's sort of thinking ahead. Uh, you know, sometimes you feel like guys are doing things for their own benefit like Larry Scott would do. He's, he's a guy who's playing chess and he's not going to tell you the, the third or fourth move he's making out there, but you feel like they're doing that. And he's had to pivot already. I mean, a half an hour before he gave his speech on Monday morning, at, I mean, on Tuesday morning at Pac-12 Media Day, Texas and Oklahoma officially announced that they want to join the SEC. Um, you know, he's had to change a lot already just in his first month on the job. So he's got to be nimble. And same thing with Mike, you know, Mike Bone takes over this huge mess and a pandemic gets slapped in his lap. Uh, and so that screws up a lot of things too. Uh, George Klyovkov takes over. He's got, okay, here's my plan for everything. Oh, by the way, the college football landscape is completely changing because Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC. So, yeah, both there's another similarity between those two guys. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that he's on the right track so far. And everyone he's making positive moves. Ultimately, in 15, 20 years, he'll be judged on TV contract, realignment, all those big things. Yeah. But he's taking the right strides and the steps right now to at least get the information. 
to make a more informed decision. And that's what it felt like Larry Scott never did. He didn't care about the little people. Um, you, you know, he didn't care about the $100 donors that, that were showing up at games. He only cared about the big boosters that were provide, that, whose names were on stadiums. He only cared about the presidents whose names were on the front of the, you know, the seal or whatever for, for the schools. He didn't care about everyone else there. And I think that's the, the big thing at Klyovkov, you know, coming from a different kind of perspective, kind of learning everything there as well. I think it's really interesting and really neat the way he's going about it. And I think it's much more much more beneficial for the conference as a whole, the, the moves he's making so far. Now, again, we'll see where it, 15, 20 years may be completely different looking back, right. but so far, so good. Yeah, I mean, you, like Mike Bone is going to be judged on how the head coach, you know, if he hires a new head coach and all that. National and, championships. And, and, and George Klyovkov is going to be about, you know, what these TV contracts are going to be. But the fact that he took the time all of us in that room were probably like a rounding error as far as like net worth goes, according to him, you know, but he still took the time to talk to everyone and he was willing to do that. And that was yeah. nothing Larry Scott would have done. Yeah, for sure. And and to your point, Shotgun, it's interesting because I, I know a lot of the knocks on him when his name was first announced was, well, who is he? And, and he doesn't come from an athletic college athletics background. But do you feel like that could be an asset? I feel like he kind of flexed his muscles a little bit about where he came from um, and how that might help him going forward. I mean, it can be an asset if you then go in and find all the information out, which is what he's doing, yeah. which I, I think that's why it's so important is that, hey, he didn't come, you know, he wasn't the SEC commissioner or some other conference commissioner. He just came over. I kind of know what I'm doing. Let me make some moves. He's saying he's he's it's the ego part of it is that he understands what he doesn't know. And he's going to find out that information, whereas it, it never seemed like Larry Scott's ego would allow him to do that. Yeah. Makes sense. All right, I'm actually going to go back to our intro screen since we had a little bit of a shaky intro, but we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, Pac-12 Media Day, like we mentioned, we got to go in person for the first time since 2019. We got to see coaches and players, got to talk to them, like, you know, side conversations, things you can't do on Zoom. We also got to catch up with some reporters, so that was nice. So we'll talk about that. Uh, also, player-run practices, I believe we saw our last one today and saw, in quotation marks, we saw the players <laughs> go in and out of Howard Jones Field. Uh, but the reason why it's our last one is because next week, people, fall start Fall camp starts August 6th. It's crazy. Football is here. And I, and I was joking with Shocking earlier. Uh, Pac-12 Media Day is kind of the, the ending of, of free time and, you know, kind of having a life because that signals fall camp is right around the corner. So we'll get into that. Uh, and then, as always, you can call us 5124-TUNNEL. Our intern, Micah, is standing by. We already have a full queue. Uh, a couple questions about George Klyovkov, so I'm going to go to that next. Uh, you can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. Wherever you're watching, Facebook, YouTube, or Periscope, uh, put your comments and questions. We love hearing from you guys. Apparently, Shotgun, your your fro is a fan favorite. What, People what are surprised, <laughs> so it's it's shocking the the audience. But I understand that for sure. I'm but, sorry, I couldn't get the full fro out. The headphones don't really allow that to happen right now. Okay, so, uh, just the sides and poofed out a little bit. So, <laughs> well, like I mentioned, we do have callers on the line. I'm going to our buddy Coley from Iowa first. Hello, you are live on television. Hey, Keely, Ryan, Mr. Spratling, uh, thanks for taking my call. My question is, uh, your new Pac-12 commissioner, George Kliakoff, said he's going to emphasize revenue-generating sports, i.e. football, basketball. So my question is, of course, um, Notre Dame, a little parochial school in South Bend, Indiana, has the Shamrock Series about once a year where they give a home game away and travel to a large capacity stadium. And this gives them the opportunity to recruiting and also, of course, sell 
Shamrock Series jerseys to the Irish faithful. Do you see USC, who is the pinnacle name in the Pac-12, possibly doing something similar, having like a Men of Troy series that would enhance their footprint and raise revenue? Uh, Of course, hey, thanks for your time. Thanks, Coley. Thanks, Coley. Yeah, he did definitely put an emphasis on the revenue sports. And the thing, and, uh, you know, if you remember a few years ago, I actually had Dan Weber, our beat writer at the time, ask Larry Scott, because we were, it was like Pac-12 championship game, and I was, uh, I think it was, we were doing a show or something beforehand, so I couldn't talk to Larry Scott, but Dan was going, I'm like, Dan, ask him what's more important, parody or making the playoffs? And Larry Scott said parody, and he had to backpedal from that for the last few years. And George Klyovkov has come in and is like, we don't want parody, we want championships. And I think that's been a constant message, and you're going to see things that all those little schedule quirks and stuff that would hurt Washington every time before they played Oregon, stuff like that, those aren't going to be happening anymore. So there's going to be an emphasis on the bigger brands, which is good if you're a USC fan, because you're not going to be putting, you know, playing a Friday night road game before, a, you know, Oregon on a, a Saturday on the road and they had a buy. Like, you're not going to have stuff like that happening anymore. So that's a, that's a positive thing. I don't know if that would um, make as much sense for, for USC. I think they're trying to do whatever they can to maximize the home games. Uh, having nine conference games plus Notre Dame, uh, it doesn't give you a whole lot of options to take one of those away. So I, I don't know, Coley, if that would make a ton of sense. But if it was, you know, potential revenue generator, he they would, you know, he's he's talked about putting a preseason game like you play in Dallas or Atlanta, you know, in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, like something like that would be great. But I don't know about a, uh, you know, a, a series sort of like the Shamrock ones that the Notre Dame guys do. I don't know what you think. I mean, I think it's much more difficult if you stay at nine conference games. Um, you, you know, I think just because you have Notre Dame on the schedule already, that's kind of your your gym. Notre Dame has more flexibility, obviously, with their yeah. schedule, with having less games, conference games, if you want to call them that, with the ACC. Um, so they have more flexibility to do that. Are they going to look at marquee matchups? I, I think so. I, I think that that's something that that you you want to do. And you know, I have a big question of you know if they have to wait till twenty twenty four for the TV deal, are they going to be too far behind? And maybe there's a way that you do some some big time events in the meantime to try to you know create some extra revenue there, some new different things, and, and maybe that's something to look at. Uh, to be determined. I think that Notre Dame can get away with it because they're more of a national brand than pretty much any other program from the long TV history. You have a long fan base there because of that. So I think it makes it a little bit easier for them to do that and the, just the situation they're in with scheduling and conference-wise. Thanks, Coley, for the call. Let's go to our other uh, regular caller from Iowa. It's Dave from Iowa. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, Tunnel Vision. First off, I'd like to welcome back Coley to the uh, calling queue. It's always great to hear another person <laughs> from Iowa. Nice. But uh, I got two questions. Uh, no, you good. I got two questions. Um, so, one, when it comes to the preseason all-conference teams, like, do penalties play a factor? Because I was honestly surprised that uh, Chris Steele got a – I believe he, I believe he was named a first-team all-Pac-12 con- all uh, for the preseason. But, like, I mean, just from watching last season – he got like, or he had like, what, almost three penalties a game for like four straight games, it kind of seemed like. But maybe that was just me. So I'm just curious. Do I penalties think that's play just a you. I don't, that? I don't think that's and accurate. Second. <laughs> oh, go ahead, Dave. What, yeah, what's, what's your, your, second? Oh, okay. what's your right. second question? All right. My, my, my apologies. You know, I was, I guess he probably, he just only had three penalties. 
No, my, but my other question was, uh, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving, do you think the other Big 12 schools are going to, like, you know, kind of just really encourage the, te- their other, the teams to just really just go out guns blazing against Texas and Oklahoma <laughs> since they're leaving the conference? I mean, to me, I mean, to me, I know I'm just a fan, but as a head coach, I kind of guess you don't want to sink that in and be like, if they want to leave, then hey, then hey, let's just beat their ass, and then when they go to the SEC, they can really get their ass beat. But maybe that's just me. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Uh, Thanks, Dave. Let's, let's do that one real quick, Dave. Um, yeah. Okay. So if you saw the the Big Twelve and Bob Bosley sent that uh, memo out Crazy. today, it evolves every day. Basically, like, hey, ESPN, stop messing with our crap. You know. Um, it was uh, go check out the the statement that they sent out there, the cease and desist order. Um, so the here's how it works: Texas and Oklahoma, their grant of rights deal or whatever it is uh, for the media rights goes until 2025, and there's all these provisions in there. So if you can't leave and everything, and I think it's 80 million dollars per school for them to get out of this, and everyone just assumed like, ah, someone will figure out a way to get out of it. The the message I saw today seemed like. The Big 12 isn't going to let this happen. And could you imagine if they have to stay there for like the next four years, officials making horrible calls against them for the next – I mean, I mean, there's going to be a lot of stuff every everywhere you go. People hate Texas anyway, but, man, every every stadium you go to, it's going to be just – it's going to be – I don't want to say Bedlam because that's one of the names of the – but that's like, you know, that's the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. <laughs> it game, but, will be Bedlam. But it will be Bedlam like year. every game, you know. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating – does the Big 12 crumble? Because then if it does, then they won't have to pay. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff that's going on there. So this is this is going to be like, get your popcorn ready and watch because uh, it's not going. This is not going to go. They're not going down without a huge fight. Yeah, I think it's going to be similar when Texas A&M left uh, the Southwest Conference. There's animosity already there with the rivalries with them in Texas. So then when they went to play Texas, I think it was even more so. Yeah. And I, I think there, there's, there's going to be animosity because there's jealousy. You know, when Texas A&M left, you know, why, why did they want you and not us type of thing? Um, and there's all, like you said, there's already hate for Texas um, because they kind of ha- hold themselves at a higher esteem than anyone else. They think they're better than everyone, even though they've won, what, one conference? They've won as many conference championships since Nebraska since like 2001. And Nebraska <laughs> hasn't been in the conference for like 15 years yeah. or something like that. So it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, but, so there's already animosity, but it's going to be, it's going to be ratcheted up, especially if some, depending on how things play out, now it could work out better for some of these Big 12 teams. And they end up in a bigger monster conference, they get more money, something like that. Sure, that works out better for them, but the fans are still going to be upset. Yeah. Um, but if some of them end up in the AAC, even if the AAC becomes more of a power conference, if that's the move, their fans are going to be belligerent at these two teams every single time they play in every single sport. So, yes, I think it's definitely going to be ratcheted up be- the animosity towards those two teams. Yeah. Well, here's a quote from Ross Dellinger of the Sports Illustrated. He uh, had a quote from a, pa- or a Big 12 source who said, It is imperative that the eight of us do not crack and we stay together for the four years and hold OU, Texas, and ESPN to the contracts, even if it is uncomfortable. I love it. The that's, drama. That is and the awesome whole thing drama. To, the whole thing today is, you know, ESPN could potentially be trying to talk another school into moving out so that that buyout either lessens or, you know, dissolves if the entire conference breaks apart. So ESPN's looking at it like, you know, we can make more money if we can get them in quicker type of thing. So I, I think that that's where it is. And it's fascinating yeah. that ESPN's getting a cease and desist yeah, because you crazy. think of ESPN, you go, oh, that's a journalism, but it's also entertainment product. SEC so, networks. So, yeah, it's it's very oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, the Big 12 basically accused the ESPN of like 
orchestrating this behind the scenes. This isn't about like, um, you know, the, not necessarily the, the, the Texas Oklahoma it. portion, but trying to move someone else out. Like yeah. the, apparently that they were, they have evidence of you know ESPN reaching out to schools in that conference saying, hey, what if you move? But even here? trying to, to to grease the wheels to get Oklahoma and Texas to go to the SEC where they run the network, and so yeah, this was a. Uh, this is definitely get your popcorn because there's going to be some some fun. I mean, this is a, a conference that's got two torpedoes, you know, in its side and it's sinking fast and it's going to try to do, you know, whatever it can. But they they can hold on. They got some life preservers. They can like hold on and make let not let Texas and Oklahoma jump overboard. You know, they're going to try to go down with the ship. It'll eventually get off, but like. How long does it take for them to get off this sinking ship? Yeah, that'll be fun to watch. M- money will play a big part in if it breaks up or anything. What conferences? Hey, if the Pac-12 wants to take some of the of the teams, which teams do they try to take? How much money do those teams? But don't overestimate or underestimate the pettiness that will oh, be involved yeah. in this. That <laughs> that exact statement that Keeley read is all about the pettiness. Mm-hmm. If you can force Oklahoma and Texas to pay eighty million dollars. How much money can your school lose to force them to pay $80 million just because you're so pissed at yeah. what they're doing? The pettiness in college football, we, we've kind of lost it a little bit with these conferences getting bigger and bigger. You lose some of the rivalry, all that type stuff. But never underestimate the pettiness in something like this uh, in college football. It can always come back really quickly, and I think that's you're going to see a lot of that in this situation. Yep. Plus, Texas A&M could be helping their former teammates in the in the Big 12 because they don't want Texas and Oklahoma to come over. So they're like, hey, Bob Bosley, what can we do? We'll help you out. Like, you keep those guys there as long as possible, you know, like – there's some funny uh, memes and stuff going on around Texas A&M getting dunked on, but you know if, if they can help Texas stay at in the Big Twelve for like four more years, like they'll they'll feel pretty good about themselves. Hip Hop John had a great comment. He said Texas desperately wants to be accepted. Ah, uh, yes, it's I like true. It. <laughs> yeah, but the, you know when you mentioned that, like when have they won a conference championship? People say the same thing about USC. That doesn't matter as much as the brand, like their brand, what they bring, the, the eyeballs that. It's money. you are they care about that. Yeah, is Iowa State better the last three years? Yep. Does it matter? No. Who would you rather pick? You still pick Texas. Like I want Texas on my team, not Iowa State, even though Iowa State's been better. And people were saying that if I would talk about USC looking at independence or whatever, like Oregon's been the team. It doesn't matter. Like, great that you want. If Oregon State won the, the Pac 12 championship for the next five years, they're not gonna be a bigger brand as big a brand as USC. So USC can screw up year after year after year, but they're still that brand. Now, maybe five years from now, 10 years from now, they keep screwing up. Maybe they won't be that, but they're still that brand right now, just like Texas is that brand. So I know they haven't won a conference championship along, but, but you know, it's still that, Texas it's still, a Texas still makes more money every single year than any other program. Yeah. Alabama is up there when they're winning and going right, but every single year, regardless of who the head coach is and how they've struggled the last couple of head coaches – they still make the most money. They bring in the most money as far as a football program. Yeah. By the way, Chris Steele is a, a really good corner. He had some penalties. Like, I don't know what the, I don't know what else to say. It's about a that, common but. mistake that people say about Chris Steele that he has a ton of penalties. I mean, he was saying like three penalties a game. I was like, that's, no, that's not. No, no he, he's very physical. He grabs a little bit too much. He's in position all the time. So with Dante Williams, another year, I think you're going to see even more improvement from him. He's a uh, you know a low key all American candidate because of that. If he can catch some of the passes, because he's been in position and knocks some balls down. Um, if he can catch some of them and take some for interceptions, a six seven interception season is not out of the question this season for him. Well, we have one more caller in the queue, so I'm going to clear it. It's Kyle from Pennsylvania. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello. How's it going? Hey, Kyle. Good. 
What's your question for the team? Um, I, I'm wondering what will it take to far get rid of Clay Helen? God, hey, Kyle, thanks for the question. Uh, I don't think we've ever gotten that before. I was going to say the first time this is uh, this has come up. Um, I mean, to be, I'm not going to lie, that wasn't talked about. It's something that comes up at Pac-12 Media Day between other people to cover other teams and, and national people. It's like, it's a topic, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, t- personally, I mean, I think we talked about this at lunch a little bit. People were asking about it. I mean, I think USC needs to win the conference at a minimum for Clay Helton to keep his job. That's just my thoughts on this situation. But I mean, obviously everything's different. They could win every game by a point or crush teams or lose every, you know, but I, I feel like, you got to win the conference and uh usc hasn't well, the one time in the last 12 years or something like that's in or 10 years or something I, whatever it is like it's that's inexcusable they should have won it last year they didn't i think this is clay elton's time to win the conference they're you know picked to win the south again and uh, i think that's got to be the bar you have to set winning the south is not enough in my personal opinion but i don't make those calls clinching the south this keely reminds me every time i say <laughs> win clinching um, it's a weird pet peeve the Ryan and I kind of argued about this at lunch. I don't think winning the conference is enough. I think the eye test has to be there too. Uh, you win the conference and the eye test looks good and you go to a big bowl and you lose. I, I think you're okay. Um, you make it to the playoff. I think it's almost playoff or bust because I think if they're looking good and the eye test looks good, then they'll make the playoffs yeah. uh, with a conference championship. So the, the interesting thing to me, you said, you know, a lot of people talked about it from other teams and stuff. Really no questions about the hot seat to Clay Helton. He's been on it so long that no one's asking, like, hey, what's it like being on the hot seat? Yeah, there wasn't that. So that, that's a weird thing, which I don't know if it's good for Clay Helton because then you're just sort No, of it like, means he's been on the hot seat that long. People forget it. But you know what the one thing that's pretty different? Usually you'd go to these events, and there's a lot of local media there because they've always been held in Los Angeles, Hollywood, wherever. It's in Southern California. Um Every coach would get some question about USC. Do you remember? Like they always would be. That that didn't happen this year. They weren't. They weren't asking Kyle Whittingham about USC. They weren't asking Carl Durrell about USC. But were know? they asking about other schools? No, but they, over the years, you would always ask about USC. Like that would be the thing. Like uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham's talking about Utah, and then someone's gonna ask him a USC question. Sure. You know, and that didn't happen this year at all. So that's. That's kind of an indication of like that's not where USC should be. They should be like, hey, why are you know what's going on when you're playing USC? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think because they're not the dominant program that hey, how do you get to USC's level type of questions? You're not getting those. Um, I think that also we we heard a lot of different questions because there's so many new things kind yes, of since the last media day. Whether it's vaccinations, that was. You know, a Nick Rolovich 11-and-a-half-minute filibuster to start his 25 minutes that he had to speak, um, which someone made a great point at lunch. I don't remember who said it, but uh, they said, why don't you just go the full 25 minutes? If you're going to filibuster, go for the whole thing and then get no questions at all. Just, you know, um, from from the vaccinations and that talk, NIL, obviously huge, conference realignment. Coaches were asked about that. So I think there's just a lot of topics that were being asked that push those type of questions to the side a little bit more. Because sometimes you go into media day and it's like, what is there really to ask? Yeah. You know, but I feel like it's... There's so much. You know, it seems like it's been so long since we've talked to some of these coaches because, you know, we're not jumping on the Zooms post games. But, you know, I would always... I always listen at the Coliseum. I go listen to the opposing head coaches 
um, interview while the rest of the gang goes into the media room uh, to hear Clay Helton and, and the two players talk. I listen to the opposing players, opposing coaches until players start coming out. Um, so normally I'm listening and sometimes I'll ask a question or two, but I think it's just so such a different time right now from the last time we were in a media day. So I yeah. think that may have played a little bit of a factor into yeah, it too. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of other questions. But now that we're on the topic of media day, I mean, your overall thoughts, it was a blitz. It's one day. Sometimes, sometimes in the past it was two, but it's one day and they made sure to keep USC last so everyone would yeah. stick around. But overall <laughs> thoughts. Yeah, I mean, so there's different things you look forward to. First of all, we haven't got to see a lot of these people, not just the coaches and the players, but also the national media members, the the beat writers from other per people that cover other programs that you get to know over the years. So that was nice to kind of be back in the same area and and check that. Out. I thought they did a good job hosting it at the W. Um, there's certain things you look forward to. Like it would always be nice to like if you're at lunch, you sit down and uh, um, you know have lunch with an interesting coach. If it's like Mike Leach, you want to hear him talk about Civil War generals or whatever it was, you know, and um, pirates. Yeah, pirates and things like that. I wanted to sit down with Nick Rolovich because he's got a great personality and stuff. And because of the whole, he didn't show up, you know, he didn't come because he wasn't vaccinated. But then when he, he spoke on zoom and he just had his head down, the, the body language was terrible. And like shotgun said, it was like 11 and a half minute filibuster. And it just wasn't, it just didn't feel right. Like he had this, he didn't say he was anti-vax. He, he said that, you know, he w encourages people to go out and explore, you know, look at the vaccine, but he didn't take it for personal reasons. And it just didn't, he would be one of the greatest personalities to talk to, and we we missed out on that because of the whole vaccine thing. But um, you know, Jed Fish, it was cool to you know ask him a little, you know, ask him some questions. He was a he's a great energetic guy. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, overall, it was it was cool. Like I I like uh, you know what a lot of the coaches kind of had to say. Some of the players were had really great personalities, and we were you know they were both of them together. So it, overall, I think it was great. George Klyovkov, I thought did a a really good job in the morning, knowing that you know news had just broke that. The whole college football landscape was going to change, but yeah, overall, I think it was it was good. Keen Slovis, Drake London, I think did a great job. You know, Clay Helton did his Clay Helton thing. It wasn't anything groundbreaking. It was you know kind of the normal stuff you get from him. But uh, overall, it's always good to kind of hear what these other conference, you know, the other programs in the conference are, are have to say. Mm -hmm. My takeaways from Pac-12 Media: first, give a lot of credit to Keaton Slovis and Drake London. Keaton Slovis was out of voice by the end of the day because yes. because yes. USC went last, their last team to go at three o'clock. He was trying to answer questions and kept choking up a little bit. And Drake London's like, man, drink some water. He's like taking care of his quarterback on the podium. Uh, credit to those guys going through it. Drake's a little bit more reserved guy. Keaton's getting a lot of questions about his arm and not performing as well last yeah. season. Those are not easy questions necessarily to answer, but I thought that they did a really nice job throughout yeah. the day. I listened in to different interviews as the day progressed. We talked to them. Keely got him on camera. We talked to them a little bit separate. Um, so give those guys credit. It's not an easy day to go through as a player. Yeah. It's fun. There, there's some fun things to do, you know, the photo shoots and whatnot that they do. But it is also a, a rigorous day. There was I have a photo of Drake London that, that he's just – you can just see he's kind of his eyes are glazed over just a little bit during the final media session because it was basically six straight hours of interviews for those yeah. guys. So, uh, so yeah. give give them credit. That's my USC takeaway. <laughs> like you said, Helton didn't really say anything new, noteworthy, anything. He just kind of held court where, where thing, he was. Yeah. yeah. Um, other takeaways: Herm Edwards calling an NCA review. 
Yeah. Yeah, the NCA review that we're going through, like not an investigation, not hey, there's a bunch of dirt that that had and receipts, literal receipts that people have piled up to dossier. hand to yeah. hand to the NCA. An NCA review that we're going through right now. He was we're like, not, uh, we're he just was not going to talk about it. He was asked if it was like affect recruiting. Nope, not at all. It's like no, it has Of course it has. Like yeah. yeah, obviously, but okay. Um, also from ASU, Chase Lucas. I thought he had a great personality. The defensive back. This is yeah, I yeah. think yeah. this is his sixth year um, because he's taking a COVID extra year. Uh, he thought about the NFL last year, came back. He's faced some really good wide receivers from USC side as well, but also in practice, Frank Darby, uh, Nikhil Harry, first-round pick, uh, and then the other first-round pick that, that they just had. Oh, uh, Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's yeah. faced those guys in practice. But he also talked about how he really transformed last year. So it, it's interesting to hear guys admit that it took him until his fifth year before he really focused on football and realized what he needed to do to be – a successful player. I expect a big jump from him this year just because of the way he was talking. He, he, he was about, a great person. Yeah, he, was he, he was talking about how football is his girlfriend. He's like, <laughs> I love her. I spend so much time with her. He, he was he was fun to listen to and, and uh, talk to as well. Some of the other players, you know, like great personalities talking to them. Jed Fish, I think he continues to win every offseason yes. battle that he can. Um, now, when they get to the season, I think they're going to struggle because they just don't have the talent, even though they've done a good job transport all those different things. But I, I think they, they still have a talent dearth. But watch out for Arizona in a few years. If he continues yeah. to build on it and they can keep the positive vibes that they have, that's the big thing that I noticed being around him is he, he is, he's kind of bouncy. He, he's you know he's got that positive energy around him, and that is rubbing off the players. That's something that was talked about from the players. So Arizona's a team to watch for in, in the future, I believe. They didn't have a lot of media there. It was like Michael Love at the at the microphone. I wanted to go ask him something, and I was like, "Hey, Mike, can I like jump in?" He's like, "Okay." And then he went to the other mic. You know, there's two mics. That was pretty hilarious. funny. Like he had a list of questions. Like, yeah, I guess you're like the only beat writer there, or one of them. Well, Jed Fish doesn't really take himself too seriously because his part of his opening statement. He was like, it's kind of fitting that we're going second to last since the media keeps voting us second to last to finish in the conference. So, you know, little jokes there. It was funny. It was good. I, it's funny. I asked him about um, – because he – you know, if you remember Kevin Sumlin. So this is a similar thing to like Larry Scott does all these things and he screws up. And then George Klyovkov comes in and, and fixes a bunch of them. Well, Kevin Sumlin, I mean, you couldn't watch practice. You couldn't talk to anybody. And now their camp is completely open. So I was like – and I'm always an advocate for that. I think it's great. You know, when Pete Carroll did it. Um, I think it was it was really a benefit for the program, and I asked him about it. He's like, I don't see why anyone wouldn't like you. You want to play in front of people, you want to perform, and and you know it's not like game weeks where you're like giving up secrets. It's like so he's letting people come, and I think he's doing a lot of things right. I agree with you. I don't think they're going to win this year, but um, I like what he's doing around there. And it's tough to keep momentum if you're not winning, but. If they can keep the positive energy, I think that's a team to watch for a couple of years. And the last thing in a similar vein is I think Klyovkov continues to win all the early battles that he can. You know, the easy steps. He's taking those similar to Fish. Now he's got – similar to Fish, he's got a tough schedule ahead. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have the same talent that, you know, some of the other conferences might have to negotiate with and all the other stuff. But, um, you know, we'll see what he can do down the road as well. Uh, the media poll, USC was picked to – win or clinch the South, as you mentioned. Oregon to clinch the North. So a rematch of the 2020 championship without the asterisk. It wouldn't be a, a Washington gets sick type of game. Uh, what do you think of that, Ryan? Yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, the, the problem with this, I th the North, um, I mean, I, I was picking Stanford to finish last. I think they're going to take a big step back. David Shaw was really confident. Uh, he had some interesting things to say, but I just don't see that program going the right direction. Uh, we'll see, though. I mean, there's, I think there's, you know, outside of Oregon, 
I don't know. I mean, is it Cal going to jump up there? Is uh, you know Washington State could be better, but I think Washington's probably going to be number two, and I think Cal is going to end up being number three. But we'll see how that trends up. But in the South, I mean, Arizona State would be a trendy pick, but they've already they have one. You know, their tight end coach is on uh, paid leave. There might be more coaches from this review going. I mean, there's a there's a not non-zero possibility that Herm Edwards isn't the coach a month from now. Like I mean, li- like if something weird happens and the, like the investigation comes out, like hey, you guys knew all about this. We're blowing stuff up. Like we don't know what the timing of this could be, or this could take two years. Like we just don't know. So there's too much uncertainty for me at ASU, but they do have a lot of talent. And Utah lost a bunch of stuff. Uh, you know, the Ty Jordan thing I mean, just terrible. Uh, the tragedy there, but they brought in a lot of guys from the transfer portal. It's Kyle Whittingham. They're going to have an amazing front seven. I think it's, you know, he loves this defense. The um, They got some depth in the secondary. I mean, this, they're going to be very good on the lines. Uh, they brought, you know, good guys to transfer in. And, who I mean, they're going to be tough. USC does get uh, Utah at home. So I think it makes sense to go USC, Utah, Arizona State. But I wouldn't be surprised if either one of those two schools won. Or even UCLA makes some strides. And, you know, Chip Kelly was kind of funny, just his – dry, uh, you know, delivery of same, everything. Same as always. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, UCLA is going to be better too. I think, you know, it's probably going to be tough for Colorado, even though they did well last year and USC didn't end up having to play them. And I think Arizona's, you know, going to have some troubles, but I kind of feel like that's the order they're going to fish in the South. So I, I agree with it. I think UCLA is going to be much better this year. I think Dorian Thompson Robinson takes a step forward. I think they got all the players they want in there. You know, they've had a ton of turnover on that roster since he took over a lot of guys left the program whatever um utah i don't know if you got a chance to listen to devin lloyd at all the linebacker one that dude is huge <laughs> as a linebacker like i looked at him and i like i didn't see, see his name i was like this guy must be a defensive end yeah. uh, he's huge for one but he, you know, he was getting late second early third round draft grade so he decided to come back i think he'll have a monster season this year in the middle of that defense for them so watch out utah i think they were super young last year on defense, yeah. and all those guys got some experience. So now when they get the must back, I, I think that helps them out. Now, winning at USC, that's going to be a really tough task for them, as has been the case throughout that series. Um, but watch out for them. They could be a team if USC slips up a couple times. Maybe they don't win at USC but could still pass over USC to take the South. So I, I think the South's going to be might be one of the tougher years for the South. It doesn't feel like USC is head and shoulders above or it's USC and one team. I feel like Arizona State has the talent. To yeah. potentially be there, the the big questions. If they didn't have the overhanging black cloud, you'd I say, might pick them in the south. Yeah, yeah I, I, but I just don't. You just usually don't see situations like that uh, where there's something overhanging. You've seen it at USC several times. Unfortunately, uh, you just don't see teams play up to their potential consistently with that happening. There's there's uh, there's lulls and and in the season, and I think that may happen to Arizona State. And UCLA's roster has been screwy. Like Chip Kelly ran a bunch of guys off. They had, but right now I think he was he was talking about it's pretty evened out as far as the classes go. Like USC's pretty. A lot of people are pretty like freshman heavy because of the whole super senior thing. But yeah. he feels like there's better distribution now. I I think he likes this team. Will they, you know, they were better on defense last year. They were better on offense. They ran the ball well. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson, if he takes steps forward, yeah, they, they could they could be a team that wins the the South too. So that would that would be bad news for USC if UCLA was able to do that. But um, they should be improved too. 
To your point about Arizona State, I thought it was really interesting. One of the quotes I heard was uh, the reaction to their loss, their last second loss to USC to start this 2020 season. They, One of them said that there wasn't really a dry eye in the locker room. Everyone was just devastated. And he said that it actually brought the team closer together. And if you remember, they got hit with COVID issues after that. So they had a while to sit on that loss. And he actually... Three weeks. They missed yeah, three games. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so he said they had a lot of time to th- sit and think about the loss and the the potential win that they could have had and so he said that that ultimately brought the team closer together so it's just interesting how that that game impacted them because i hadn't heard their side of the that story yeah that was that was chase lucas as well um so not only did they lose the usc they lose the covid games and you have to wonder when you're bringing in random people into your program (laughs) i wonder if that has any impact yeah i mean um of course you know uh, reportedly allegedly um but they then lost, I think, a close game to UCLA or something. And Chase Lucas said after that UCLA game, like they all knew that, you know, what they had to do. And, and the last two games, I think they played pretty well. And they are trying to carry that momentum. So Arizona State could be a dangerous team there. And But him talking about the USC game, I thought was interesting because Jaden Daniels didn't play two years ago. But they had a chance to win on the last drive. Yeah. Last season, they had a chance again to win on the last drive after USC gets an onside kick and then converts on fourth down with that ridiculous catch by Drake London, the throw from Keaton Slovis that we all remember, which Drake London brought up when he was asked, what's your favorite route to run? And someone said a seam route, and he's like, yeah, that's probably it. And he's like, you've probably seen it on highlights uh, over and over again that Arizona State game. <laughs> no, Keaton, no, Keaton Slovis is the one that said that. Keaton Slovis said, like, after he said it, see him out, he likes it. He goes, well, I, we saw it a thousand times on the Arizona State yeah. game. So, yeah, it was pretty funny. There you go. Um, yeah, it, it, Arizona State, they beat Arizona. What was it? Was it like 70 to 7 or something stupid? It was like a trance. It was like that ended the season. Uh, you know, obviously, that was like Kevin Sublin, like, goodbye, like kind of like the Rick Neuheisel 50 to nothing. Uh, game. I mean, so was something similar to that. So Arizona State was like, okay, we're going to take out all our aggressions of this season on you, poor Arizona. And so it just like blew them out. So we'll, can they can they build on that momentum? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It was interesting. Going back to USC quotes, uh, I got to talk to Keaton Slovis about, you know, what happened with 2020 Keaton Slovis. And he talked about um, his arm, the injury. And he was saying it, it was a mental thing of trying to get more accurate. It's something that he never really struggled with. He was like, I struggled with making poor decisions, but I've never struggled with being accurate and throwing the ball with velocity. So he said he had to put in a lot of work. But Chuck, and you noted this too. It was interesting. He said he felt better in the second half of spring camp. So that progression that it's still a work in progress, it seems, where he's trying to get back to 2019 Keen Slovis. But he did say he doesn't want to be 2019 Keen Slovis. He doesn't be he doesn't want to be 2020 Keen Slovis. He wants to be 2021 Keen Slovis, which is probably going to be something better in his mind. Yeah, he said he didn't want to be freshman year Keaton. He wanted to be, he wanted to push forward. He wanted to, you know, accelerate his development and, and become a new player rather than trying to get back to where he was previously. And he said he felt like he had gotten back to the 2019 level, that second half of the spring. Now he wants to go push forward. And I talked to Drake London one-on-one. He said, I asked him, everyone wants to know, we're going to get Keaton Slovis 2019 or Keaton Slovis 2020. He's like, honestly, I think he's a better version than 2019 right now. So he said he's throwing the ball with more velocity. That's something I asked him as well. He said, definitely. He said, my hands are stinging after, after throwing sessions with him as well, <laughs> which is a positive sign there. And it, I think it comes down to the offense now. If Keaton Slovis returns to where he was, okay, the offense gets back to 2019. There's still things that can take take that offense to a whole nother level, and that starts with the offensive line, the run game. 
but also are you going to use those weapons that you have? One of the things Keaton Slovis talked about was that the new guys that have come in, the transfer portal, the freshmen at the wide receiver position, he said, one, they have more depth in the running back position, he feels like, but also at the wide receiver position, he's like, we have a bunch of unique skill sets. Are they going to use those? That's my big question, yeah. and I asked it of them, and they said, yeah, I think you'll see some different things. But that in, ultimately comes down to Graham Harrell. Does you know? Does he believe in his offense so much that we're just going to stick guys in a certain position and run to grass? Or are we going to say, Drake London's a mismatch against anybody? Okay, let's pick out their worst defender and put him on that guy, and let's throw the ball to Drake London. And then after now they have to double team that guy. Now suddenly you got you know, Brew open. McCoy yeah, on the yeah. other side one on one with a five ten guy, and you just throw the ball or Malcolm Maps. There's like there's so many ways you could do it then because of the different skill sets and those new guys bringing extra speed to the Jake Smith, Taj Washington. Those guys bringing more speed. We did see Jake Smith at uh, the PRP today as well. So it appears that all the transfers are enrolled. We saw Sierra Wright as well. He was the last freshman we had not seen. So it appears everyone. That is incoming. All the incoming players are in-house now for USC. Yeah, and it was interesting. Keaton Slovis did a lot of interviews, obviously, like you talked about. They mentioned the injury. Like, if you remember when this was going on during the season, and it was like, well, the it was windy, or there was wet balls. Or, I mean, yeah. There was all these weird excuses. The dry wind. The dry <laughs> Yeah, I think it was the Arizona game, and yeah. I talked to like Jason Shear, who covers. He's like, there was no wind. I was like, oh, okay. I was yeah. there. I was yeah, like, you were there. sitting yeah. in the presser, like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's good they're like you know they were addressing it uh you know they're addressing it now and he you know it wasn't like he just told one person like he was saying like hey here's what's going on well know? he sort of addressed it prior to spring camp when you know he talked about how he went to a quarterback's coach and he was trying to figure it out and then i just think it's notable that i think prior to spring camp they kind of made it seem like hey everything's good now and then now talking to him he said the second half of spring camp he's going right. to feel comfortable it's like okay this is interesting this is a, a delayed reaction if you will uh, but talk a nice transition with the player run practices last one we saw any notable thoughts? Ishmael Sopcher, the Alabama defensive tackle transfer, looked like he wasn't dressed out like the rest of the players. He looks like he's still limited. Uh, so that is something to watch for because that nose tackle position, USC probably still figuring out what to do with that with the loss of Marlon Tupelotu and uh, Jay Tufele, obviously, and uh, Jay Tafoya. So... What, Ryan? You no, said, no, yeah. Oh, sorry. And Brandon Peely being gone, <laughs> yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Brandon yeah. Peely with Achilles, right? Sorry, I, I thought you were going to say something. But no, yeah, no. so... Any other PRP thoughts? Yeah, it would be great to get him uh, in there because it's sort of like, you know, everyone USC lost transfer portal or whatever. They were able to, like, kind of replace them. It was almost like a one-for-one -one thing. But, um, you know, with, with Brandon Peely going down with the injury, Jay Toya going across town, uh, you need Softshore to be able to come in there and play. So we haven't really seen that uh, happen yet. It is funny to, to watch, you know, when they don't have the jerseys on and the big bodies walk by, you're looking at And one of the guys that stood out to me is like, Josh Follow, and I remember talking to him at a Pac-12, not to him, but at a like NFL scout at Pac-12 Media Day, and he was like, man, that Josh Follow guy looks like an NFL tight end. And I was just always thought, like, yeah, he could end up being that. Um, and you see him, you're like, I wonder if they're going to use him this year. I wonder if he's going to get on the field. I wonder if he's going to be healthy. Like, um, there's, it, It's sort of like uh, – I don't know. It's it's not like Christmas, you know, like uh, Christmas Eve, but you're there's all these like presents you're waiting to open, and you're going to see what's going to go on in fall camp while the whole team is together and who looks good and who's going to be healthy. It sort of just kind of gets you ready, like Pac-12 Media Day, and everyone's getting ready. Like, what's going to be going on in fall camp, and where are these guys going to be lining up? So I'm I'm just excited for that. Just seeing the guys out there. Uh, yeah, I wish we could watch them throw, but uh, you know, just yeah. seeing them walk around. You're like, all right, you know, you they look like they're look like they're getting ready here. 
Yeah, I think the, the South Shore is a big question mark. The defensive tackle is the biggest question mark. If you listen to the Family Feud podcast or, or defensive preview, uh, obviously that's the, the one thing we harped on over and over. What are you going to do with nose tackle? How are you going to fill in that vacated hole, not only vacated from last season, Jay Tefele and, and Marlon Tui-Pelotu, but now vacated from the spring, Jay Toya and Brandon Peely. You know, so big hole there. Got to figure that one out. Got to feel, you know, I'm curious to see if they try to do it personnel-wise or schematically-wise, how are you going to uh, address that? Yep. That's a big question. Um, and, and seeing Softshire still, you know, not dressed out in the same garb as everyone else, I think that's, you know, still um, it's, it's makes you a little, little worried for that position even more going in because we thought that he probably would be back by now. You know, after he missed the spring, thought that he should be ready by, by fall, but still not there. Wide receivers, I think, look good. Kyle Ford, you know, looks to be getting back in, in great shape. You know, Brew McCoy wasn't there today, but we've seen him. He's in great shape. You know, you're adding in Malcolm Epps to the tight end slash wide receiver. Huge dude. He's Could be a complete weapon. Yeah. yeah. And, again, we still haven't seen him actually do anything but uh, as far as on the field. But Taj Washington, I think he just looks fast. I don't I, – I He expect, does look fast. And the numbers he put up and the highlight tapes that he has, I expect him to be an impact guy. Does Jake Smith get in that mix? Can Katie Nixon get in that mix? Where's yeah. Gary Bryant? A lot of weapons. I think they're more depth than they've had before. So now are the coaches going to fall through with their word from two years ago and we plan to rotate guys? That's a big question mark still. The interesting thing is is Keaton Slovis specifically mentioned Taj Washington and Malcolm Epps. He was like, Malcolm Epps is a beast. And he said that Taj Washington has really been impressing him in throwing sessions. And, so, and that was the overall point that we kind of got from Keaton Slovis is as a starter, he hasn't really had a normal offseason yet. And so he was highlighting the fact that, like, hey, I get to throw with guys. I can, like, have not have COVID pods, if you will. Yeah. It's It's been a more normal offseason for him. And I think we're starting to see, at least from what we're hearing, the wide receivers gel a little bit more with Keen Slovis. And that was something we talked about coming out of spring camp. Okay, there's Drake London. Who else is there to connect with Keaton Slovis? And so it sounds like there's at least new faces or new options coming in. And it sounds like there's some guys standing out already. But that's something definitely to watch for in fall camp. Yeah. Taj Watson was walking by today. And yeah, he just looks fast. He has hair similar to you. Um, his hair is kind of all over. He's not the biggest dude in the world. Uh, but when he walked, it was like a glide. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think he's going to be. But, you know, Keaton Slovis, had, on. Yeah, Keen Slovis had some impressive things to say about it. I wish we got to watch him. But. One of those things you want to watch him when he uh, takes the field. Do you know his number is off the top of your head? Do you remember? Taj Washington, I believe 19 is my guess. Um, okay. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, right. Someone asked a question about Drake Jackson. Does he look more lean? I talked to him today. He's at 240 pounds right now. He told me he wants to be at 250 to 255. And he said he wants it to be muscle. He said the reason why he wants that extra weight is to be armor going forward. So I think that's something he learned from last year is just the, the extra bumps and bruises you take on as you lose some weight, you know, those, those you know, every play hitting an offensive lineman, you know, get you know, beat up a little bit more uh, at 240 pounds. He said he's been working on his drops more this offseason. Feels like he's really got the defense down, so he's learning everyone else's spots around him so he knows what they're doing so he can better understand what he's supposed to do. Uh, so this is the first time we got to see him this offseason, but seeing him back was a positive. So I think we've seen everyone this offseason, I mean, during the PRPs at some point, um, outside of injured guys like Brandon Peely. I think he's the only one off the top of my head that, that we haven't seen. We've seen Max Williams, even though he's injured. Yeah. He, he was dressed out and looked like he was ready to go today. Yeah, that was And weird. I know he's doing some workouts, and he's like three months off of an ACL injury. That he's kid, a fighter. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. 
he's a guy that you 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 root for, and especially after multiple injuries. But he's just yeah. the type of kid that's hard not to root for with with uh, his work ethic yeah. and the way he throws his body around as a younger guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a smaller guy. Uh, he's like that uh, Russian gymnast who had a Achilles surgery and is out there <laughs> three, three months, months later. Oh, yikes. Um, well, let's get into questions. Sure. It's almost the top of the hour. I believe we have a question about something that came out in the news today. Uh, Reggie Bush, the NCAA came out and said that they're not going to have the NIL rules kind of bring back Reggie Bush's Heisman. I know the Heisman Trust kind of punted to the NCAA and the NCAA was like, no, we're not doing it. They they released a statement that said previous penalties, including those that are several years old, will not be reevaluated or reconsidered based on the recent changes to NIL rules. So uh, Josh had a question for us. He says, so with NCAA coming down on Reggie's Heisman, do you think that this will be overturned by a court? I don't know about a court, um, but I think this is one of the things where Mike Bone could talk to, you know, George Klayovkov's on campus right now. Like, we need to get this fixed. Uh, what can we do here? So make some calls to the NCAA. The NCAA doesn't exactly have a lot of cachet right now. Um, you know, they need the NCAA could use some wins. They're getting crushed in the courts. Um, they did just settle with Todd McNair in that yeah. lawsuit. I mean, they didn't settle because they won. They settled because they're giving Todd McNair money. So... Uh, you could say, like, look, Todd McNair was the star witness in this, and you paid him. So uh, I don't think everything, you know, that went the way the investigation went down was all copacetic. So I think you could do some back-channel stuff with the Todd McNair verdict and all of that, uh, the settlement, and figure out something to do here. We're like, you know what? We're going to reinstate this, and that would allow the Heisman Trust. I guess the Heisman Trust does have some kind of thing that, you know— there's some rule in there with the NCAA or they're following along, but this would be more of a back channel thing than a court thing. So Mike Bone, George Klyovkov, maybe they can work together on something like this if that's what they want to do. Honestly, if I was the NCAA, this is exactly what I would have done. No, we're not going back and changing things because then you go, okay, well, which ones do you change? Do you change all of them? It just, yeah, it just opens up so much. Now, if people want to continue to fight it and now you have to go to a legal route, then maybe you change your mind, but just, yeah, we're not going to do that. And then see where things go from there. That that's what I would have done in the NCAA. I don't think winning, you know, giving Reggie Bush back his Heisman really wins the NCAA any favor um, there. So besides maybe a couple of USC fans, I think USC fans pretty much hate the NCAA as it is for all the sanctions and whatnot, and pretty much everyone hates the NCAA. So yeah. I don't see why they would do that. Gorilla had a question on YouTube for us. He says, "Who will have the best pass rushers in the Pac-12 this season? Is USC in the top two? USC could." Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, who was at um, Media Day yesterday with three rings on, he was Rose Bowl, his Pac-12 rings, uh, looking fly, talking about how he's talking to Phil Knight and stuff. Another, Uncle Phil, he called him. Another yeah. very, he got a call. For, he's like, I got a call. Like, it's Phil, Philip Knight. He's like, who's this? It's like, oh, Uncle Phil. Like, you know, I was <laughs> Casual. Like, yeah, Casual. B- billionaire calls. He's like, all right, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, he's talking about how he wants to build a school eventually and different things. So he was impressive at, at media day. So I don't know exactly who's going to be on the other side of him, but you better hope that you can block the other three guys and have a blocker or two or three for Kayvon because he's going to be a menace off the edge. Drake Jackson, can he get to that same level? That's where people think he could be. That's where you see his name come up as top five potential pick which I think that's a little bit high there, but we'll see what he can do this year. USC could definitely be in the mix. To answer the question, Vic Soto, what we've seen from his group in the past, in the short time that we saw last year, huge improvements and great pressure. 
and that's going to only help the defensive backs because they got a lot of young guys that they will try to rotate in, I think, and try to get some playing time. So you're going to help those guys out. But Nick Figueroa is probably the most underrated pass rusher in the Pac-12, if not the nation. I mean, wow. his pressures per rush are are outstanding. Hunter Eccles really high up there as well as far as pressures. He's got to do a better job getting the quarterback on the ground, getting the hits on the quarterback, but he's getting there and forcing the quarterback off his spot. And then you talk about Drake Jackson and Corey Foreman, the QB killers, as they call themselves, um, at Corona Centennial. You know, if they can be live up to the hype, yeah, USC could definitely have one of the best pass rushes you know, on the West Coast, in the nation, potentially. I don't know if they'll be up there with the Ohio State type of things that we've seen in the past, but could definitely be the best in the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, Utah always has a good one, but you know, there's no there's no big names there right now. If you guys have any questions on Facebook or YouTube, just put, try to put question or like we're we were kind of just talking for about an hour, so I'll, 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 I'm trying to look through here. I'll Are put you some sorting through the up. hair questions, Ryan? I'm trying. There's a lot of hair comments <laughs> about that, but if you have questions, I got them up. We can put them up on the screen if you have questions. I'm really enjoying the comparisons that people are making, like a troll doll that got electrocuted. There's a lot of good ones, so keep them coming. It's entertaining me. We got a question from Walker Lamer who says, "Does does the Tunnel Vision crew sense that Todd Orlando's defense will be strong or questionable this season?" I mean, there's big questions about replacing the yeah. big pieces from last year. But I think second year, I think they're going to only go forward. I think what we saw in the spring as far as building the culture of yep. the entire team all stemmed from the defensive staff and stems from that defense and the positive developments we've seen from the pass rushers, but also the defensive backs under Dante Williams. So, you know, with the pieces that they have there on the coaching staff, it feels like everything is moving forward and, and going to continue to get better. So I think you're going to see uh, a, a big jump for the – not a big jump, but a jump for the defense, which is interesting because Todd Orlando's defense has been really good in year one yeah. when he takes over places and then struggled a little bit more in year two. So let's see if that continues. You know, sometimes one of the things with his defense, he's bringing pressures from all over the place. If there gets more tape out there and then opposing coaches get a better feel for it, I don't know if they definitely got that in a six-game season. It's weird. Yeah. It's the opposite. Like, we're supposed to see Graham Harrell, this big jump in year two, but the pandemic sort of kind of put the kibosh on all that. So it might be a, a year two for Todd Orlando. Where they didn't get to prep everything and install that culture and everything like that. So – I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see. But I think they're going to be better, too. If anything, they didn't slow down in spring camp. That's right. something that we've seen sometimes where they, they change course a little bit. They kept the intensity up. And now they have a full offseason, a full fall camp for not only culture building, but for install as well. So I'm very curious what we will see. I believe we have a question from Ulao Lao uh, for Ryan, who says, uh, I know you haven't seen much, but what can we expect from the unproven wide receiving core? Who do you expect to be day one starters? I do believe pre-fall camp, you gave your omen to Tyler Vaughn's way back then. Are you going to do another one? Are you going to uh, have a, a, another boy? I think I had my, you know, Kyle Ford, we talked about this before, is my boy. We haven't seen much of him sure. with the knee injuries and everything. But, uh, you know, I, it's hard to have like a crystal ball to know because we haven't seen a lot of these guys. I mean, you know, a lot, you know, what you've seen with uh, with Brew McCoy. Um, there, there's, like Shotgun said, there are a lot of options there and some new guys that – um, you know, when you see like Joseph Manjack, if you look at it, like shotgun puts a picture up from him, like he looks like, Oh, is that a manager? And like, Oh no, he's actually on the football team. And like, man, he's really good. Like people talk about him. Keaton Slovis talked about him. Um, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of options there. And I, I feel like Taj Washington was someone I was like, ah, I'm not sure. And now I'm like pretty high on him without seeing a snap. <laughs> I know without seeing a snap, just, you know, the feel you get. And then 
like I wanted, I I really felt when I heard Katie Nixon, I was like, wow, that's going to be great. And it just, I just didn't pop in the spring. So maybe he does pop in the fall. Um, we'll see. But there's there's a lot. The good thing is there's a lot of options there. Is it going to be? I mean, everyone had these set positions before, where you had Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn's, and before it was Michael Pittman and and Drake London and stuff. Maybe you see more of a rotation. I think we talked about this before. Maybe you do. I don't know, but it's, it's Believe hard. Believe want to see it. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things like, is Solon Tulea Pupu going to play? Believe want to see it. Are they going to rotate a bunch of guys at receiver? I'll believe that when I see it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the Brew McCoy and Drake London are are almost locks to be starters. The question is three to four, the, the third and four spots. Are you going to try to use Drake London on the inside? Because it, it sounded like we saw in the spring and it just felt like Drake London, hey, he's moved to the outside. And then we saw him a little bit in the inside towards the end, and yeah. he didn't pr- pl- practice as much towards the end of, of, of spring camp. But then talking to him yesterday, it sounded like moving to the outside is not some permanent thing. Yeah, it was interesting. It was like, I don't know where I'm going to line up type of thing. So. It was like he didn't want to say. like. Uh... But then Keenan, when talking about Malcolm Epps, said, hey, that gives us a lot of more options. That gives Drake's London a lot of more options. So it was kind of a mixed bag for both of them. Maybe they rotate around. I don't know. But yeah. but the question then is, Drake Lund is going to be on the field. If he moves inside, then that makes it much more difficult to figure out who's going to be that third receiver, um, or if he stays inside, I guess is a better way to put it. If he is now on the outside, then that opens up that inside spot to everyone, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Because you can go speed, Taj Washington, Gary Bryant, Jake Smith, use a slot, shifty guy, and, and use one of those smaller guys. Or you can go size again. And had three big guys across the board, and now you got Malcolm Epps or Michael Trigg comes in there. Uh, if Josh Follow steps up, you know, can he be an option? Like, there's there's a ton of options there. Yeah. If you just go outside, though, I, th- I think it limits. If he 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 stays inside the entire time, that limits the guys that you're going to see on the outside. I just don't think some of those guys are are going to be pure outside guys. There's options. I mean, John Jackson options, walked by, yeah. and I was like. Oh, he's looking good. Like, I mean, there's, you know, who knows? But I, I think there's a lot more options there. We just, we don't have the proven commodities that you've had in years past. Yeah. And then speaking of speed, I, when talking to uh, Drake London, I was saying, what are you expecting from Taj Washington and Jake Smith? And he said, I expect them to take the top off of de- of defenses. Is that something we will see USC do or utilize? They haven't, right? We have, yeah. When's the last time that happened? Uh, I mean, it. They throw the deep ball. Let's not let's not say that they don't ever throw the fade or you know throw the ball deep to guys. I'm on Ross St. Brown, ton of catches. You know with the deep post and, and stuff like that. But there's the other ability of taking a fast guy and just running the defense further to open up more space inside. And if you don't cover that guy, we're throwing it to him for a touchdown. And but like it just opens so Jones, much more. It just didn't ever happen. Never used it. Yeah, yeah. it was just weird. Yeah. Like it just didn't work. And will it work for these guys? You know, it's. It's not just about having a speed guy, but it's got it's got to work in the system. And I don't know. We just haven't seen it yet, really. Yep. Ryan, I think you and I both saw this question on Facebook. Uh, Harry on Facebook said, when is USC going to get a fullback? And then he commented after it and said, nothing else matters. Oh, um, here, I, I can put that one up real quick. I put, uh, <laughs> it's okay. We don't so have to. So what time is it? It's 9.06 here on the West Coast. Well, um, yeah, never. Like, it's not going to happen again. Maybe, I mean, maybe years from now, but it's certainly not in the offense. Not um, in this offense, for sure. Yeah, the way that the offense is going right now, no. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. That's just not, I mean, look around. Where did, did Alabama have a fullback right now? Like, you see that? Put, did LSU have a fullback when they scored 60 points a game or whatever the hell it was? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's just not, that's not the direction college football is going. So I'm sorry, uh, Harry, but that's, 
No. So much snark, Ryan. It's I'm just, okay. I'm They're just saying. Questions. I know. I'm just, you know, I'm just <laughs> trying to be realistic. It's just we've gone over this a million times. You know. Mark Watkins on YouTube says, "Do you believe that Keaton Slovis's arm is really fixed, like he says, or will we see more issues next season?" I mean, he sounded the part. Yeah. Um, I gotta see it to believe it. Another one of those, but confidence be. Uh, Begets confidence, I think. And I think confidence in his arm and feeling more confident in the way he's throwing the ball and being back to where he was and trying to build on that, I think you could – it was evident in the way he was speaking. There wasn't any hesitancy in the way he was speaking. And Keaton's not the hardest person to read as far as his emotions on things um, mm-hmm. like some people may be. So you, you can tell how he's feeling and the way he answers questions. And I think that you know he had the confidence yesterday. He had the hair. He had the quaff going. Um, you know, he, his he, hair was on. He was looked like a hair. '70s skater, in my opinion. '70s. How many '70s skaters <laughs> have you ever? He looked seen? like he just what? signed with like LeBron James's agency. You know, like huh. it's like. It's, well, oh yeah, it's okay. almost like that might have happened. <laughs> but yes, I, I got '70s vibes. That's all. I, I, I. You know, when we've heard from him before, I feel like he was a hundred percent honest about what was going on there. Like if you talk to people and stuff, I just felt like he was. This is what has happened. Like, hey, man, it didn't feel right. I was like a little hesitant. And, you know, I think everything he said made sense. I don't think he would, there's things you would want to lie about. He could, if he was lying about it, he's like, no, I'm totally healthy and whatever. I I feel like he was honest with what's going on and feels a lot better about where his arm is right now. We had a question from Crenshaw Grinder on YouTube who said, when does the Pac 12 television contract with Fox end? 2024 is the big one. So, um, yeah, that's when their rights basically open up again and can be free market. Now they could potentially try to get out earlier than that, but then that limits you know the free market uh, ability of them going out and getting everyone. Like there's certain ge- there's certain games that open up. I think that they can get out earlier, but 2024 is when it's free. Yeah, for the Pac-12 network, Freedom! Pac-12 network, and for the tier one rights deal with Fox and ESPN, um, he did mention during uh, Pac-12 media day that they are uniquely positioned because they own all of their rights. You know, they own the Pac-12 network. Um, it's something that the Pac-12 network basically can't get fixed until then either. They're all the distribution deals. He likes the the content on the network, but the it's the distribution that's the issue. So, and that's, you know, that's a big deal because you don't get it in DirecTV, which is huge here in Southern California. I mean, I got YouTube TV, don't get it there. Um, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's a problem. I mean, I've watched so much Olympics right now. Um, that I would love to see stuff like water polo and some of those Olympic sports that if the stories are told really well right now when it's on during the Olympics, then I think would carry over because there's so many athletes from USC that are in the Olympics right now. 66 athletes, more than a ton of countries yeah. are, are have USC ties. So I would love to see there be a distribution portion from the Pac-12 network with the Olympics channel or something like that um, where you're getting – the sports to the eyeballs that want to see that people that have the Olympics channel, um, that they, they want to see those type of sports people that have the Pat 12 network and just are USC fans. Are they really interested in that Oregon state versus Washington state water polo match? 
I don't think either one of those teams actually has a, a water polo <laughs> program. But still, I, I don't think that there's any interest there. Whereas someone who's an Olympics fan, Olympic sport fan, and has that channel, maybe you know if there's a big time player or something on one of those squads, they are interested. Yeah, get those type of you know that's one of the things, one of the distribution things they could do. Split it up a little bit instead of the Pac-12 have, having all their rights outside of football and basketball, having all the games. They were focused on weight, the numbers of how many live events they have, and they do way more than all the other conferences, but. They just don't get ratings, and I feel like you can do it in a, a better way. I know you would talk about there'd be like a baseball game between like Oregon State's number one and like Stanford's number four, and they're showing like you know Washington State and, so and Arizona. A replay of women's volleyball <laughs> from two weeks prior. Like yeah. if there's a live event where you, you need to, they need to have more flexibility. Yes, that's one of the issues with the Pac-12 Network is they set the schedule. It's like. Walk away. Yeah. yeah. Like, and at the beginning of the year, and like, okay, hopefully that works out, and then don't don't the, ever move it. The Pac-12 has had the number one baseball pick like three of the last five years or something like that. Like, you need to be spotlighting those players and like saying, hey, in a couple of years, you're going to see this guy in the big leagues. You're going to be seeing Adley Rutschman. You're going to be seeing Spencer Torkelson. These guys that are big-time prospects that are going forward. You're going to be seeing Garrett Cole, you know, those type of players um, that came from the Pac-12 that – Aren't being you know aren't being spotlighted I think in the way they could be that's that's one of the the small things the Pac-12 Network could be doing that they're not doing really well. Yeah, we had a question on YouTube from Mulao Lao who says, "Shotgun, what do you uh what do you believe the spread offense favors a body type like Brew McCoy or Gary Bryant?" The thing is the you see more of the small receivers, you see more of those slot receivers. But you can have big-time receivers that go up and make it. You know, the, the biggest thing is, hey, can you, you be shifty and find that open grass? That's the, the big question mark. Well, hey, you need to th be able to throw the ball up. And if you practice the repetition, you, you remember Graham Harrell talking about, you know, how they would throw the same ball. He would throw the same pass to Michael Crabtree the entire practice. That would be one practice is throwing the fade ball to Michael Crabtree. You know, Keaton Slow is throwing the ball to Brew McCoy. That still works really well. You know, you throw it and you put it in the right spot, he's going to go up and get it, you know, a, a ton of the times out of 100. So I think that you can still have big receivers, and you're seeing how well the body type of Drake London has worked in the slot mm -hmm. for USC. So I don't think it necessarily favors one or the other. We've seen a lot more of those small shifty receivers be able to come out of that offense and make it to the NFL. Um, rather than a pro style where you usually have two wide receivers, just because you see more of those small receivers on the field, they can you know kind of get lost a little bit in the traffic. Uh, so I think they've had more success in that type of offense because of that. But I don't think it necessarily favors one or the other. We actually have a late caller, so I'm going to go to him. I believe it's Adrian. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, what's up, guys? Big fan of the podcast. I just wanted to ask, I've listened to it. But I just need to know, I need confirmation from you guys. Is Robert Steiner finally the guy? I keep thinking to myself, ever since that cotton ball against Ohio State, we've looked small. Like, I'm, I don't, we don't look big. Like, are, is this the guy that's finally going to put some beef on these boys? These guys have been here three, four years. They sometimes look the same, and, and it gets frustrating. It's like, are, are we not giving them enough muscle milk? Are we not giving them enough food? Like, what are we doing? Is Robert Steiner the guy that's going to get us back to looking physically dominating? Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, I, I like mean, the from the players talking to him, I mean, they seem pretty high on whatever he's been yeah. able to do for them. Um, you know, bodies look good from what we've seen him walking by on the PRPs, and you know, we saw in the spring. Uh, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, I would, uh, I would, I would say Robert Steiner's a buy right now. I think you know he's on the the upswing, so we'll we'll see what you know what the proofs of the pudding. But uh, I feel pretty good about 
USC strength and conditioning program right now. I mean, I don't see a bunch of guys that are first guy off the bus type of, of guys just because of, you know, they've made these huge improvements. But listening to the players and take their word for what you will, it's all about functional strength. And you're hearing even Keaton Slovis talk about the functional strength training and exercises that they're doing to help his arm. Um, and, and, you know, listening to the players talk about the different things that they're doing and the unique things. Drake London said that they'll, I think he told Keeley that they'll, they'll create stuff out of wood for yeah. extra exercises. Because he said, like, that man has stuff up his sleeve. And I was like, well, what specifically does he have up his sleeve? And he's like, they'll make things out of wood and we trust him enough that we'll be like, okay, we'll do this rep. Like, it's, it's intense for them. They've carried, they're carrying their teammates on their back, literally, and maybe that's a figurative thing that they want to work, but like picking them up, carrying them in their arms and different things. Uh, you, you know, body weight exercises, there's there's different things there. Um, I think the, the year off really hurt them. You know, I, yeah. I think that yeah. really hurt the, the strength and conditioning. Aaron Osmus, it was all about lifting, you know, lifting heavy or eating heavy. What is it? Uh, <laughs> lifting uh, heavy eating thick. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, and I think that has its place. However, I think he was very handicapped by the fact that kids were training in their garages. You yeah. know, how much is a strength coach able to do when your players are out training in their garages? One, some people need to be motivated with someone yelling at them, being right there on top of them the whole time, instead of saying, "Oh yeah, I did my, I did 15 reps, coach," when they did 12 yeah. or whatever it may be. Um, so I think it's. They're back. They're in the, you know, it's, you know, they're building the culture of the team there too. And all signs so far are positive. Again, that's, you know, we don't really know until they try to push around San Jose State and whether they go forward or backwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think with Aaron Osmus, it's just, um, sometimes it's just you're not in the right place at the right time and things just don't, whatever, work out. Like he wasn't, he wasn't going to be a good pandemic um, strength coach because he's more about, you know, weight room, lifting stuff. If you're a body weight guy and, and Robert Steiner has a whole bunch of body weight exercise, I remember asking Aaron Osmus about body weight exercise. He looked at me like, what are you talking about? Like, no. Um, Robert Steiner is. He does a lot of that stuff. So if he was in the pandemic, he could do that because he could have everyone do stuff at home. And that's not really the program that Aaron Osmus put together. So like, you know, our buddy Michael Castillo is better suited for the pandemic than me. He likes being an introvert and staying at home. I, I like to go out everywhere. So like, it just... He would be. He was better suited to handle the pandemic than I was, and I think Robert Steiner would be more than Aaron Osmus. Honestly, of the last three co strength coaches, has been very different approaches for each one of them. Yeah. I would say I would favor Bobby Steiner and the boys' approach <laughs> over the other two. Yeah, there's different philosophies. We, yeah. I mean, Ivan Lewis no was very here. focused on flexibility and you know stretching and all that type. Um, Aaron Osmus was kind of the exact opposite. You know, just power lifts, and now it seems more functional stuff. Um, I think that is the best suited way for a football team, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. The th notable things for me when talking to guys about the new strength and conditioning, a lot of guys keep saying that they've lost a lot of body weight. I talked to Corlin. Body, body fat. Body. Yeah. Sorry. Body fat. Thank you. Uh, I talked You're gonna to Corlin. You're going to make people freak out. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. They're not skinny models now. I promise. They're not. <laughs> Body fat. Court, I talked to Cortland Ford uh, today, and he said he lost eight percent of body fat. I believe Brett Nealon said the same percentage amount as well, either eight percent or six percent. But a lot of guys, especially in the trenches, are losing body fat. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to note too is that it seems like this administration at least understands the importance of strength and conditioning and nutrition. And that's something where I've heard nutrition was lacking a lot for USC lately, and so that's something that they've been trying to sort out there. But of course, the pandemic threw a wrench into those things. But they at least understand uh, the importance of that and that how both of those programs can set the tone for your football team. So yeah. at least it's it's known and they are trying to remedy those issues. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Um, let's go into rapid fire, I yeah. believe. Yeah, let's do rapid fire. There's one up there on the screen. For okay, you thank you. Uh, Walker Lamer said, Vivai Malapai is back, and so is Ken and Kristen. Can Tunnel Vision get Mike Jinks on to talk about the running game? We'd love to talk to Mike Jinks, and we can do that in fall camp. Probably not uh, as a guest. During the season, I think it's harder to get coaches. We'll try to do that more of an offseason. I don't know. I don't remember if we had Mike Jinks on before, but I did a bunch of one-on-ones with guys, and it was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, we'd love to get him back on, but we'll talk to him and talk to him about the run game because there's there's more of the guys than that. I mean, uh, you know, out there, it's uh, Keaton Slovis was talking about the Keontae Ingram. Keaton Slovis mentioned Keontae Ingram multiple times yesterday yeah. in different contexts. So I think that tells you a little bit about where, what he thinks of him and, and where Keontae is in that running back competition. I think he's one or two right now and vying for one. So I, I think we've asked, had a lot of questions about who's going to be one A, one B because that's what they said they want. Um, and I think right now it's Vi and Keontae. We'll see if anyone else can catch up. Walker also asked if you can get Mike Bone on Tunnel Vision so we, he can get a oh. uh, to ask about the State of the Union for the Trojan Nation. We've had him on the podcast. I mean, he sort of dropped the bomb on the – where did we break? We broke uh, – oh, <laughs> we broke – oh, the San Jose yes, State yes, game, yes. right? Yeah, we broke that. And, yes. then, uh, and he also talked about everything was on the table. So we, we'll, we'll like to have him on again. We got to talk to him earlier today and mm-hmm. – uh, He's very he's a very accessible yes, person. Yes, very so, media friendly. Yeah, um, I think we answered this either last week or two weeks ago. But Oscar, I want to know: Can you guys pick a surprise player on each side of the ball in twenty twenty one? And when we did answer it, Keely was like, "That's not a surprise. That's <laughs> not a surprise. Okay, well, not I'm not surprise. as critical today. How about They're that? on the roster. That's not a surprise. <laughs> yeah, the, the phrasing was different for the other question. Uh, Taj Washington's, I, I believe, the guy that I mentioned on the offensive side. I, I think that that. I mean, he's a freshman All-American, so how much of a surprise is that? But he's new to the Trojan fans. I think that's a possibility there. Um, Keely's mad at you already. <laughs> you just did it to yourself. It's fine. Don't worry. Freshman All-American at Memphis. Like, it's yes, not like... Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> it's the AAC. That's not a real conference. Don't you remember that? Tell the Big 12 that. Yeah. Um, the other one I think Ryan mentioned was Cortland Ford. Um, yeah. So, and Keely poo-pooed that as well. You know, a guy that's played one game. You can't be a surprise, apparently. Sorry. Because well, yeah. he got most of the reps in spring camp. I know. So? It could be like a Jonah Monheim. I was going to talk to today, but I decided to talk to uh, George Klyovkov instead. Hey, Matt Fink uh, and he... Jack Sears got most of the reps the season before JT came in the fall. True. This is not a question to pick a bone with me, Shotgun. <laughs> sure but thank yeah. you. I mean, sure. and I don't know, would you someone like Keontae Ingram count? Because when I watched him in spring, I was like, if you didn't just saw numbers, you're like, he looks like the starter. Like, I mean, I I think he can come in and... Uh, and do a lot of good things for you. So I think he, he's, I think him and Vavai are going to be like the two number two, one and two guys. So the, the transfer group as a whole, I've been very impressed with. I think they identified yeah. spe- specific positions they needed to address with Talano Hufunga being gone, uh, with Jake Tefele being gone, with you know some of the weapons on the offensive side being gone, and they went out and got some big pieces that I think will be able to play right away. My surprise on the defensive side. I think ITS is a guy that's ready to take his game to a whole nother level. Mm. Um, I was impressed with him in the spring. I think he takes over that other cornerback spot opposite of Chris Steele and could have a really, really strong season. I think with Dante kind of on him all the time, but you know he, he trusts Dante wholly. I think he has a chance to, to really you know take a big leap in his game. I think that will surprise people how far along he is versus where he may have been the last t- couple seasons. We got a 
question from Coley White, who, if you're new to the show, he is our resident Notre Dame fan. He says, USC hated to fill UCLA plays LSU in their second game of the season. Do you think they have a chance? And what will a win mean? He thinks it's good for the Pac-12. It's huge for the Pac-12. This yep. is one of the big Pac-12 games for sure. And they, it's at home. It's not like Michigan playing, uh, Washington playing at Michigan or Oregon playing at Ohio State. Right. This is a home game. Uh, Chip Kelly was asked about his out-of-conference record at, US, at uh, UCLA, which you know is 0-6. He hasn't won an out-of-conference game yet, but he's got Hawaii and then LSU in week two. So it'll be LSU's first game. They have to come on the road. You know, they, they beat some good teams last year, and they, they, you know, they still were like a 5-5 five and five kind of team. So this is a huge game for the Pac-12 all around. So, yeah, you, you want Chip Kelly and UCLA to potentially notch their second out-of-conference win in Chip Kelly's tenure. As of now, I'm picking UCLA. Wow. All right. He did last week. Yeah. I mean, will it be notable or as notable since LSU is kind of on a downtrend? Oh, I mean, they what they beat Florida, like they beat good teams. Like they're still sure. really yeah. talented. I mean, they're just, you know, they had they lost a ton of talent from that uber, uber talented team they had in twenty nineteen. So yeah, when you lose that many draft picks, you're gonna I mean, like, you're gonna take a big step back. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's your Alabama. That, that was about to say. That's what's <laughs> been so impressive about Alabama is when even when they lose a number of guys, they have guys that decide not to go in the draft, and those guys become the big time stars the next season. So uh, that's why Nick Saban has this run of what twelve years now, some some ridiculous it's, run yeah. with, with Alabama right now. Mark Watkins wanted to know any players expected to miss the start of fall camp. So Clay Helton said that they're doing pretty well injury wise. He did say that there's some soft tissue injuries, but he he said it's pretty pretty healthy as a team as a whole. I believe we won't see Ishmael Sopcher full go. That's just something where it doesn't look like he is right now for PRP. So you don't can can't fully expect that now. And then uh, I believe Jordan Isefa is still waiting for clearance on that knee. And I don't know if we know the status of Solomon Tulalapupu right now. He's been in cleats every time we've seen him at practice. So uh, that's a positive sign. But again, full week of practice before we get there. Yeah, Depth is really good. And uh, injury situation is good right now. So we'll see what they look like uh, come August 6th. All the guys that we saw leave in the the spring outside of the two season inning injuries, Brandon Peely and Max Williams, all the Gary Bryants, the Michael Jacksons, all those type of players we've seen, you know, with their catapults on, you know, sweating coming off the practices, all the things that, would lead you to believe that they actually stuff, are participating yeah. <laughs> in the PRPs, though we can't see to completely confirm. All those type of players have been back. Elijah Winston and Ethan Ray and Jude Wolf, some of those guys that missed the 2020 season or missed the end of the season, those guys are back as well. Greg Johnson. Yeah. So right now, USC looks healthy. Hmm. Now, where are they going to be two weeks into fall camp? Are we going to see 25 people on Rehab Island? I don't know why we can't expect that because that's been the case for a half decade, but there shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, it's not like they're going in with a bunch of guys that are already banged up. And uh, Kobe Pepe is another guy who was mm-hmm. in and out of, of spring with that shoulder injury, and he told me he's 100%. So that's another guy who came back. Um, I'm going to wrap up the show here. Okay. Like I said, fall camp next Friday. We're back, people. It is crazy. Football's back, technically. <laughs> That's the more important thing. Any final thoughts before we really go into fall camp? Thanks for joining us on the later show. Like we said, yeah. we had to come here late. We came, I mean, literally just ran in the office. Like five minutes before the show I had the, the, show, the show all set up, so <laughs> hopefully it was going to work out okay. But uh, uh, we'll season, we'll probably be do, doing two days a week. We'll figure out what the schedule. It might be more of a Thursday thing because we won't be going to practice on Thursdays, uh, Thursdays and stuff. So we'll figure, you know, kind of figure that out going forward. But uh, we thanks for... 
sticking with us. I know we had a little break there for a while, but we'll be back doing these regular shows. They're a lot of fun to do. We, we enjoy them, and we enjoy all you guys, all the questions and everything. So thanks for that. We'll, maybe we'll get some special guests. I don't know. We tried, we tried today a little bit down there on campus. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see what you can do. Shotgun. Um, Thoughts? I, I think the most intriguing thing going into the fall is Keaton Slovis and where he's at. You know, that's the big question. 2019 Keaton Slovis, 2020 Keaton Slovis. Brian McCall asked several questions about Keaton Slovis. Is it mental? Is it physical? What was it? It was mental stemming from a physical injury. Yeah. You Watch know, my interview with him on this channel, yeah, by so, the way. <laughs> so check that out. Um, but he seems to be confident. Quarterback is a position where you need your confidence. Now, the offensive line has to block in front of him. We know that. That's a big question mark. That's a big question mark going in. But that's what I, I'm hopeful for for USC is that he's back because we want to see players at their their peak, um, and I, I think he has a chance to get to that this season. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he looks at the beginning of fall camp and seeing if all the confidence he displayed yesterday, if that, that holds up and is true. Mm-hmm. Truck Ranger says, love you guys, even Shotgun's hair. Look at that, Shotgun. Winning the people over with your luscious hair. There was a good one. There was a, you look like a young Bob Ross. The, a lot the, of Bob Ross. The painter guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, I have the no, puffy little clouds. I have no artistic skills at all. <laughs> well, at least well, you look like that hair is pretty artistic. I, I can break down film a lot better than I can draw stick figures. It was hard to find the questions because there was too many So much. It was the hot problem. topic of tonight, Shotgun's <laughs> yeah. hair. So People would is, tune in later. This like, is oh why my God. I yeah. wear a hat. And this this may be the end of this hair, this pandemic hair that I have. Are you getting a haircut? Well, we'll see. We'll Maybe see. before fall camp. Maybe that's the biggest question mark heading into fall camp no, <laughs> we'll shock and have haircut all righty that's gonna wrap up today's show thanks for what thanks so much for watching that's ryan that's shock and i'm kidding we'll see y'all next time bye see ya okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.